You're listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. In response to an explosive investigation, top Southern Baptists have released a previously secret list of hundreds of pastors and other church-affiliated personnel accused of abuse. The 205-page database that was made public included more than 700 entries from cases that largely span from 2000 to 2019. Its existence became widely known when the independent firm Guidepost Solutions included it in a bombshell report detailing how the Southern Baptist Convention's Executive Committee mishandled the allegations of abuse, stonewalled numerous survivors, and prioritized protecting the SBC from liability. Each entry in this list reminds us of the devastation and destruction brought about by abuse. They said our prayer is that the survivors of these heinous acts find hope and healing, that churches will utilize this list proactively to protect and care for the most vulnerable among us. That's the beginning of an article from NPR on May 27th, uh, 2022, an article uh, that chronicles the abuse cases that have come to light in recent years. And to be clear, this is not a church denominational problem. The only reason there, that there are not explosive reports among non-denominational non, non, non churches is because there's really no formal hierarchy or organizational accountability, but to be certain, this is an ugly trend across the board. Theft, abuse, scandal, that the church is, is sadly truly living out 1 Corinthians 5, 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. So I want this to be heard loud and clear that the greatest danger to evangelical, gospel-focused, word-proclaiming churches is churches. It is not the government. It's not a political agenda. It's not foreign policy. It's not the economy. It's not the wicked neighbor. It's not the public school system. Friends, it has, as it has always been, the greatest danger to the church is the people that gather within the church. Not to say that there is not real threat or real persecution outside of these walls. Not to say that we're not living in some modern-day Babylon, but the real enemy is ourselves. Where too often the church has become a show, its leadership has become actors, and the congregation has become the audience. What happened? Like what, I mean, what happened to the church that Christ loved and gave himself up for? Well, among many things, it's clear that we have lost our ability to be honest, honest with each other, honest with ourselves. We have lost our ability to be transparent, or we would rather be caught dead than to let anyone know we are not perfect and deeply struggling. 
We have lost our understanding of godly fellowship, the pursuit of holiness, the call to repentance. We've put on our mask. We've built up our walls. We've made Jesus a brand rather than a king to bow down to. So, so this is a plea to myself and to you. Hey, let's stop all that. I mean, let's, let's stop wasting everyone's time playing institutional games. Let's stop hurting each other and then imploding our witness of the gospel. Let's follow Jesus and actually be honest about ourselves. So let me show us from the word what that might actually look, up, look like. We'll continue in 1 John this morning. 1 John chapter 1, uh, we'll start in verse 5, but before we read the passage, let's, let's pray together. God, we first come before you in repentance, both, both individually, corporately, the global church. I mean, how, how many times do we have to be on the news? God, no wonder so many people have walked out of church. No wonder so many people have given up on Christianity. God, forgive us. God, forgive us for not, for not being honest, transparent. God, forgive us for not value valuing your word in our life god forgive us for not being christians that pursue holiness but also individual repentance god teach us from your word what it means uh, to be honest we pray these things in your son's name amen first john chapter one i'll start in verse five this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all? If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, well, we, we lie, and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, will we make him a liar? His word is not in us. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. I'm going to answer this question, how can I be an honest Christian? I mean, that's the question from, that we will answer from the passage, and I'm, I'm making a pretty safe assumption here that that's what we want. Like, we don't want to be two-faced, we don't want to be fake, and I'm, I'm making a pretty safe assumption that's even what unbelievers want. That the biggest reason people quit on the church is that it's full of hypocrites, which I understand, look, everyone's a little bit hypocritical in their own way, but it's this idea that the church is full of people that act one way on Sunday and then act another way Monday through Saturday. 
So it's safe to assume that everyone wishes Christians were just a little more authentic, that they walked the talk, that they actually looked like Jesus, and thankfully that desire is no different for the Apostle John. John is writing this letter to believers, pleading for them to be honest Christians. So how can I be an honest Christian? All right, here's point one, if you're a note taker. Don't walk in darkness while telling everyone you have fellowship with God. Right, I mean, it's right there in our passage. If, if you're looking at verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. It's a similar line that he starts uh, his letter with in 1 John 1.1. 1, 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and touched with our hands concerning, concerning the word of life. Simply meaning John, being an apostle, walked with Jesus, witnessed the resurrection, was sent to proclaim the gospel that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. But then look, look at verse 6 of our passage today. It says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. All right, so there's, there's a lot of this phrase, if we, in verses 5 through 10. This idea that if we claim one thing with our mouth, then we should back that up with how we live. If we say we have fellowship with the holy God, but then walk in darkness, well, we're not telling the truth. We're lying. It's a similar thing he says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 4. We'll look at next week. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. It's that imperative. That John takes this a step further, that to be an honest Christian doesn't just make you, um, a dishonest Christian doesn't just make you a liar, it makes you, I would say, an unbeliever. That, that the truth of Christ is not in you, it's that imperative. So before we start looking inward, let's start looking upward. Because until we understand some things about the character and nature of God, well, this will always be a little confusing or frustrating. So John doesn't say any of this by accident. We must understand who God is before we can understand who we really are. So let me give us two things about God that will help us be more honest. So you got point one, here's point A and B. So letter A is God is light. God is light. We see that in verse 6, but the truth is that it's, it's always been true. In John's Gospel, John chapter 1, starting in verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Friends, this, this word of God is the Son of God that spoke light into existence. So, so the gospel has been in our face since Genesis 1. Look at Genesis 1, chapter 1, verse 1. The very beginning of our Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the faces of the water. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. So this 
word of God that spoke light into existence is also the light that stepped into the world to save us. Corey read through this message. He was like, That's a, there's a lot of scripture in this sermon. So fair warning. There's a lot of scripture. John 1, John chapter 1, verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. God is light. All right, well, what does that mean? Well, simply put, at least in our context, it means that God is a good God. Like he's always thinks and does the right thing. He's always loving. He's always perfect. He's always good. It's, it's where we get that saying, God is good. Thank you, Bible Belt. And all the time. All right. It's not just some weird church uh, thing that we say. It's true. Psalm 34. Give some scripture. Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blesses the man who takes refuge in him. Psalm 145, verse 9, the Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. And then Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, and for those who are called according to his purpose, all things work together for good. And what good are we talking about? God. All things work together for God. He is light. He it's in this Genesis account. It's in the gospel account. It's even in the account of Revelation. So Revelation 22, verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. God has been and always will be our light. He's light. He's a good and gracious God. He always does the right thing. He never fails. He is light. So the other part must be true. Letter B, God has no darkness. God has no darkness. It's, it's an important point here in the text because John doesn't say, God is not darkness, as if darkness is a thing. And not to dive into the deep end of the origin of sin, like, where did evil come from? Where did, where did evil begin? Well, it, it begins in the absence of God. What is the absence of light? Darkness. And I know it can make our brains hurt, but we must understand that God is not the author of darkness and evil. We must understand that God is not like dueling it out with some cosmic equal. God is light, and the absence of God is always darkness. So let's take that to the logical conclusion. Since God is light, the absence of God is the darkness of evil. Where God's light does not shine, the darkness of evil dwells. John 3 Verse 19, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world. And the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So that's why verse 6 and point 1 is the punch in our gut. Don't walk in the darkness. Don't, don't walk in the absence of God. And then tell everyone that you have fellowship with God who is light. So it's, it's like walking in an unlit cave 
and then arrogantly telling everyone how well you can see, it makes you a liar. It's just not honest. Like, you can't be walking in sinful evil and then claim you share in the light of Christ. That's not my words, the words of Jesus. John 8, verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 12, 46, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Do you really want to be honest? Do you? Well, then quit telling everyone in this church in this town, in your family, that you're such a great Christian, and then secretly living in unconfessed sin. That's, that's just not who we are anymore. The light of Christ lit up the darkness in our heart, so we're a new creation, a new identity. It's Ephesians 5, 8, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. All right, what's that practically look like? Because, um, you know, it's not super, super helpful to just leave here with, with an idea. How can we be honest Christians who walk in the light? Well, John, John's going to tell us. Let me give you point two. Don't act like you're sinless while refusing to confess your sin. Don't act like you're sinless while refusing to confess your sin. Verse 8 of our passage, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Isn't it sad how true that is? When we say we have no sin, who are we really trying to fool? I mean, yeah, everyone else. I mean, after all, I mean, everyone else is messed up, not me. So let me just free us from that. I have been in ministry long enough to know that you aren't as perfect as you come across. <laughs> that is, it's not just an indictment on you, but also on myself. I sin. I choose to rebel at times. I, I try to climb up, sit on the throne instead of King Jesus. I choose the flesh sometimes. I, it's, a, it's a weekly, daily battle to say we have no sin is not only dishonest, just lying to ourselves. And the worst part of that is that our sinless self-deception keeps us from embracing the work of Christ. Well, do you want to be an honest Christian? You need to be a confessional Christian. When we sin, because we will, we need to confess. This isn't in your notes. Um, but it must be addressed. Who do we confess to? I mean, we want to be honest. John told us, Scripture tells us to confess. Who do we confess our sins to? Well, first, we confess our sin to the Lord because our sin is, is first an offense before the Holy God. We pray and tell God that we have sinned against Him. It's Psalm 32, 5. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That's the, the first part. Second, if applicable, 
we confess our sin to the person that we sinned against. The Bible doesn't say like, hey man, God forgave you, just keep going, pretending like everything's fine. No, it's stop, stop what you're doing, go confess your sin to that person that it impacted and make it right. Matthew 5, 23, therefore if you're presenting your offering at the altar and then you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering and go first to be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Third, we confess our sin to each other. Not so we can gossip, not so we can slander, but so we can pray and find healing. It's James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. This week, um, I texted uh, a friend just a confession of sin. And I told him, hey, I'm, since I'm preaching on this, it's probably wise for me to practice what I preach. And so I have several Christian friends inside and outside of this church that know everything about my life. How do they know that? Because I tell them. <laughs> I confess my sin to them so they can pray for me. So seriously, are you all doing that? How many men and women have been crushed by sin that they allow to grow in the dark? James chapter 1, verse 14, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then the desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Will you be honest with your sin, or will you just be another casualty in this community? Being honest is not trying really, really hard to find out everyone else's sin. It's being honest about who you really are. Don't act like you're sinless and then not even confess your sin. Why? Why, why would I do that? Why would I confess? Well, again, attention off self and on to God. God is light. God has no darkness. And when we confess, let me give you some extra ones. Letter A for point two, God is faithful and just. He is faithful and just. Lamentations 3, starting verse 22, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. He is steadfast and faithful. We even sang it this morning. He is steadfast and faithful, even when we're not. 2 Timothy 2, 13, If we are faithless, doesn't change him. He is, remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Faithfulness is the mark of our God, and he is likewise just. Psalm 33, 5, he loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. So if we confess, we confess because he is faithful and just, and a faithful and just holy God must faithfully punish sin. And if we start there, well, doesn't sound like great news. I mean, like, why would you, it doesn't even make sense. Like, why would you confess to the judge who's going to punish? 
Well, because if you believe in Christ, the punishment is taken upon Christ. So rather than this faithful and just God crushing you, he crushed his son. Isaiah 53, 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. His wounds, with his wounds, we are healed. Which would lead to letter B when we confess we confess because God will forgive. It's right there in verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Ephesians 1.7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. I know I've said it um, before, but, but maybe we don't believe that because we struggle to forgive ourselves. But I promise you, like the first step of forgiveness is to embrace the promises of the Bible. God, who is light, is able to completely forgive you. Psalm 103, 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from sin or from us. God is not, he's not holding grudges. God is not calculating our sin debt with interest so he can make his children pay it back one day. If you're in Christ, you're forgiven. And since you're forgiven, let her see, well, then God will cleanse. He'll cleanse. Two times in our passage this morning, verse 7, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Verse 9, he is faithful and just to give us our, or to get, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Like there's nothing that you've done in your past that Christ is not powerful enough to forgive and cleanse. Isaiah 118, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. I mean, don't we want a clean slate? I, I've no, I, I know what that pit in my stomach feels like when I've failed, when I've sinned. Like if I could just, if I could just get a redo. If I, if I could just go back in time and make a, a better decision. Truth is, you and I can't. And some of those decisions come with a lifetime of consequences, but there is something powerful that happens when we confess we can be cleansed. Like we can be made right with the holy God. You know what kind of peace that can bring? Even if you've burned every relationship in your life that, that God sees you as cleansed? We tell our kids to clean their rooms. And they'll spend about five minutes um, shoving all their dirty laundry and toys under their bed and in their closet. So when we go check on their room, you know, it does kind of look clean, but we know, we're well aware that it's not. When we confess, we don't straighten up some things in our life and then keep the rest of the skeletons in our closet. When we confess, we, we throw open the door of our heart, and then Christ comes in to clean. Please be honest. 
Like there's, there's no forgiveness or healing if we're not. Confess your sin. He's faithful. He's just. He will forgive. He will cleanse. Acts 26, 18, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness, forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The, um, the church gym connected to the very large student room on the second floor. We had just finished playing a round of, of basketball with a few of the high school students and time for us to go upstairs for the lesson. And as I started walking up the stairs, something was off. I knew it wasn't there 30 minutes ago. Um, I was certain everything was fine before youth group started. But as I walked up the stairs to the student room, there was a giant hole in the wall. And about the size of a human being's behind, if I can say so, so gently. And I, I knew right away what had happened. Um, I had seen them do this before. The students, they cling to the top of the, of the banister and then slide themselves down the stairwell. So it was obvious that someone did not make a safe descent and slid down and right through the wall. And I, I was like, man, the church janitor is going to be furious. Um, this was not something you could patch with, with spackle. And so I, uh, I gathered all the students into the gym, um, and they all stood before me, center, center court, and the interrogation began. Guys, look, I'm not mad. No one's going to get in trouble. But that, I mean, that hole was not there before youth group. Again, I'm not, I'm not mad. I just want you all to tell the truth. Who did it? Yeah, silence. And I was like, okay, all right. I have all night. <laughs> we aren't going anywhere until someone confesses. Silence. I called my bluff. Uh, so we, uh, we went upstairs for the lesson. And to this day, I, I mean, I have no idea who did it. To be fair, I'm, I was time I was a little impressed that not a single student snitched um, but here's the truth I think many of us struggle to be an honest Christian because we've been conditioned to believe that honesty just means punishment it's the it's the reason those students weren't honest it's the reason kids and teenagers aren't honest with their parents it's the reason why adults aren't honest with each other but brothers and sisters in Christ, we, we don't have to fear honesty. I'm not saying everything's going to um, be easy or it's not going to be painful. I'm just saying it's always going to be worth it. The truth is, John is writing all of this so that little children, we may not sin. That's chapter 2, verse 1. The goal is a pursuit of holiness in Christ, to walk in the light as he is in the light, to do the right thing when everyone's looking and when everyone is not. That's why he's writing these things, so that we may not sin, but if anyone does. That's the second half of verse 1. If anyone does, sin. Well, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Simply, when we sin, Christ steps in for us. Christ is 
the advocate for us. And what does he do? Verse 2, he is the propitiation of our sins, which I realize is a pretty churchy word. Um, But Dr. Burke Parsons, he explains it well like this as we close. The word propitiation, simply put, means satisfaction. I guess I should be done. Um, Sorry, guys. I'll wait. All right, we're good. It, it, it simply put, it means satisfaction. I'll hurry up. It means that Christ, in his perfect life and atoning substitutionary death, that he satisfied the wrath of God against our sin and against us. It wasn't that he simply satisfied God's wrath against sin. He satisfied God's wrath against us. You know, people want to say, well, God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. Well, I understand what people mean by that, but we have to understand it's not just sin that God sends to hell. He sends people to hell. And so Christ, in his substitutionary death, satisfied the wrath of God. That's propitiation. That, that Christ is our advocate. He stands in the gap and takes the wrath that we deserve. Hebrews 7, uh, 25, consequently, He is able to save the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for him. We are the uttermost. Christ always lives to make intercession for us. So, y'all, like, there's, there's, there's truly no eternal reason not to be honest. Walk in the light. Confess your sin. Be an honest Christian. Lord knows there's not enough of them these days. Little children, Christ is our advocate. That's our main point, and then we'll pray. God, we uh, come before you and so thankful for your word. Um, God, this call, this call to pursue holiness, to pursue righteousness, to walk in the light as you were in the light. God, we want to be honest in that, but but even if we do sin, even when we sin, God, we, we confess that to you. We confess that to those that it's impacted. We confess our sins to each other. God, that we can truly be forgiven. We can truly be cleansed. That your wrath was satisfied through Christ Jesus on the cross. He's our advocate. Help us to be honest Christians. Help help me to be an honest preacher. Um, Not honest about everyone else's sin, but also honest about my own sin. So we're thankful for the work and the power of the gospel. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.